Good morning, everyone. Um, I am Robert, for those that may not know me. I am from the southern part of the United States, thus I have this outrageous redneck accent. <laughs> and you will usually recognize me by food stains on my shirt somewhere. That's why I wear plaids, so it's not as easily seen. Um, I was asked to, to speak to you about Psalm 90. Um, this is, the Psalms were divided into four sections and, and they refer to them as books. And this is the beginning of the fourth book of the Psalms. And when you think of Psalms, what do you usually think of? I think of David. David was the writer of the Psalms, wasn't he? But there were many writers of psalms. A psalm was typically put to music. It was sung. It was a prayer of sorts. It was a praise to God. And um, this particular one, if you notice at the very beginning, is a psalm of Moses. Now, when I think of Moses, I think of the Exodus, bringing the people out of Egypt. I think of the law, specifically the Ten Commandments. I think of a man of God who saw God face to face. Moses wrote several psalms or songs. We see some in the book of Genesis. And he probably wrote many more that we don't have recorded. But this one was placed in the book of Psalms. It was not part of Genesis. It's something that Moses wrote separate from the book of Genesis. And he says in the beginning, Lord... You have been our dwelling place in all generations. When I think of a dwelling place, what, what do you think of? When I think of a dwelling place, I think of a house. That's where I dwell. Uh, that's where I live. If you were to go to America and go to the state of Georgia the city of Carrollton, and go to Google Maps and look up 255 Timber Ridge Trail, which is a road, uh, you will see a house painted kind of mint green color. I own that. For many years, that was my dwelling place. Today, I live on the other side of the river, Saulus Alia too. And that is my dwelling place. So is that what Moses was talking about? That we live in God? Well, in a manner of speaking, yes. And he says, for all generations. 
Moses was looking back and looking forward. Moses had seen something that not many of us get the opportunity to see. Moses spent 40 days on the mountain with God in person, being taught by God, being taught the history of man, the history of the Israelite people. He put much of that into the book that we call Genesis and the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, were all written by Moses or his predecessor at the very end. And he, he put all of this wisdom that God gave him into a book. But he spent 40 days. Can you imagine spending 40 days in the presence of God? It was so transforming physically to Moses that when he came down, his face glowed. Now, I don't mean like you've been out in the sun and you got sunburned. Uh, if you've ever looked at medieval pictures of saints, uh, it yeah. depicts them as having a halo around them. Yeah. Well, Moses had, if you would, a halo around him. He had the aura of God. And it was so pronounced that it terrified the people of Israel. They were afraid of Moses. So he had to put a mask over his face for a season. And slowly that presence of God faded away. And he was able to take it off. But it terrified them. Terrified them. But in that 40 days, God showed him the creation story. God showed him the beginning of a nation that he probably knew very little about. God showed him a history of a people that he had no way of knowing any of that information. And he pinned it all down because God wanted the people of Israel to know their beginning. God wanted the people of Israel to know where they came from and to know who their God was. They were His people. Now, I, I am not Jewish. I am not from Israel. Okay? And as I said, I am a redneck from Georgia. I've lived in Alabama. I've lived in Florida. Uh, I've kind of lived all around the world, to be honest with you. Um, spent three years in Japan. Uh, lived in Hawaii. Lived in Alaska, California. Lived all around the Pacific. Um, and so, for me, the dwelling, my dwelling place, is wherever. I'm camped out at the moment. Now, back in the 1970s, there was a song that was popular. And it said, Papa was a rolling stone. Wherever he laid his hat, 
That was his home. And so I was kind of like that. Wherever I put my hat down or wherever I hang it on the wall, uh, that's home. Might be one of your houses if I come visit. Uh, but that's, but that's the, the sense of dwelling that Moses is getting at. It's not a house. My dwelling is not at 255 Timber Ridge Trail. My dwelling is not at Saulus Alley Adivi. And when I look out here, I see people from all over the world. And you need to identify with that concept of dwelling. We live in a, a country right now that's not ours. We may have been born here. We may not. We may have a passport that says Latvia. We may have a passport that says India. We may have a passport that says the United States of America or Canada or who knows where. But this place is not our home. Our dwelling place for the people of God is in Him. And Moses recognized that. And he goes on to say, before the mountains were born, you brought forth the entire world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Can you wrap your head around that, your brain, the thought of everlasting to everlasting? You go back a billion years and then add one, and then add one, and it never ends. And you go forward in time a million years, and then you add one, and then you add one, and it never ends. And yet God is from everlasting to everlasting. Not was, not will be, but is. God is. He is older than time. In the book of Daniel, there is a phrase, the Ancient of Days. And to the Israelites, that meant that God's age was older than time itself. And he continues beyond time. And then there's us. There's Robert. Okay? And I'm a sinner. Just ask my wife. She's not here today. I abandoned her. She was at the camp. <laughs> we, were, we spent four days with a bunch of teenagers out in a, a farm area of Sacy's out in the country and I came back for the church service my wife was there fixing breakfast for about 60 people uh, she did have some helpers um, and then a sack lunch for them as they are walking back to Sacy's to the train station and then taking the train back to to Riga but 
I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. Sin entered the world. And because of sin, we age. We get sick. We have depression. And yes, we will die. We can thank Adam for that, right? Thank you, Adam. Do you know when Adam sinned and God confronted him, the first thing that Adam did was he blamed God. Go read it sometime. God said, what is this you've done? And Adam said, that woman you gave me, she made me do it. You gave her to me, Lord. It's your fault. Okay? We always blame somebody else. When God confronted Eve, what did she say? What well, that serpent. The devil made me do it. We want to blame somebody else. But in reality, no. It was me. I sinned. And because of my sin, I will age. I will get sick. I will have depression. And I will die. It's not something that's pleasant to think about, is it? In the third verse, we see Moses talking to God and he says, you turn people back to dust. You say, return to the dust, you mortals. You sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass in the morning. I, um, several years ago, I had a spot in my yard in Saulus Alia that uh, the grass had died from wear. And so I put some fresh dirt out and I spread some seed out and I watered it and the grass came up and I watered it. The soil there is pretty sandy and the water drains away pretty quickly. And we left for one or two days and I came back and all the grass had died. Every bit of it. All that work I had done. It sprang up, but it died in the sun, in the heat. And that's what he's, Moses compares us to, is that grass that, that comes up and it cannot stand the heat. It cannot stand uh, the lack of water. And so we die very quickly. Just before I came over here, as I said, we'd been gone for three or four days and I looked out my window and I've got a window box with some herbs in it and that, oh boy, they were dried up and they're right in the direct sunlight. I had to water them. But that's the, that's the comparison that Moses makes with us to God. God is from everlasting to everlasting, and we are but a blink in His eye. And then what happens? We are terrified of God's indignation. Why? 
Because our sin is constantly before God. It says He places our sin before Him. God cannot stand sin. God hates it. Does He hate you? No. You were made in God's image. God loves you. But He hates the sin. The sin is something that cannot stand in His presence. In verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. And we finish our years with a moan. It's because of our sin. What exactly is sin? Now we all have ideas of what sin is. Um, You ask a child what sin is and well, it's not doing what mommy or daddy tells me to do. As I mentioned, God gave uh, Moses a lot of information and some of it that was written down we call the Ten Commandments. And there are two or three commandments that are vertical. They are between us and God. God said, I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before me. And then the rest of them are horizontal. It's how we treat other people. You shall not lie. You shall not covet. You shall not murder. And if you think about it, it's not because God wants us to be good people. It's because I am created in God's image. And if that horizontal sin towards me is against something created in God's image, it's against God. Okay? Guru was created in God's image. And if I sin against Guru, whether it's in thought, word, or deed, it's against something that was created in the image of God. Basically, God does not want us to have anything higher than Himself. God should be foremost and first in our lives. I mentioned the the first sin, Adam and Eve. When we hear the story of the first sin, the fall, as Christians like to call it, we typically, we think of an apple that's hanging from a tree. Now, there's nowhere in the Bible that says it was an apple. It was the fruit of the tree of the, of, of the knowledge of good and evil. And when Satan tempted Eve with it, he didn't say, mmm, look at this. It is so tasty. 
He didn't say, this will quench your hunger forever. He didn't say, look how beautiful this is. He said, if you eat of it, you'll be like God. That was the sin. Was the desire to be like God. To put something in place of God. Something, me, higher than God. God says, don't do it. And I say, "Eh, you know what? That wouldn't be that bad. Nobody's going to see it. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's okay. And I immediately have placed myself above God's authority. My authority is now more important than God's authority. And that is constantly before God. We can't escape it. We can choose to ignore it, and a lot of people do. But at some point in our life, we finish our years. Now, do you ever think about dying? Most people don't. It's kind of morbid to think about dying. In verse 10, Moses spells it out. Now, at this point in Moses' life, he spent 40 years in the courts of Pharaoh until he ran away. And then he spent 40 years shepherding sheep. So he was at least 80 when he went back to Egypt and led the people out of Egypt. And he spent 40 more years wandering in the desert. So we know that he's at least 80 years old when he writes this. And what does he say? Our days may come to 70 years or 80. Or if our strength endures... Who knows? Maybe 90. Rarely you see somebody that lives 100. Now, I'm 67. Okay? If you take... My father died at 91. My grandfather died at 92. Uh, So chances are unless I do something stupid or God takes me home sooner than I expect, I will live uh, at least into my 80s, hopefully. We'll see. But the point is, I am much closer to that end point than I am to the beginning. I am beyond middle-aged, okay? I'm an old man. And so the older you get, the more you think about your life ending. And Moses was already at least 80. And he was beginning to think about these things. And it's funny, the older you get, the wiser you get. When when I was... 15, my father, he was dumb. 
I knew so much more than my dad did. I knew it all. And the older I became, the more I realized, you know, my father's getting smarter. And I could look back and I could say, well, you know, he was actually right. But Moses says, teach us to number our days. Verse 10. What does it mean to number your days? Well, I just numbered mine. I am beyond the halfway point. I'm getting closer to the end of the race than the beginning. And what does that give me? Well, if I do it correctly, according to Moses, we may gain a heart of wisdom. We get a perspective of how to relate to God and how to relate to others. Remember the Ten Commandments? It's about relating to God and relating to each other. You ever noticed that nobody has to teach a child to be selfish? It's me, 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 me. We have to teach them to share. We have to teach them how to relate to others. And as we get older, we should at least, everybody doesn't, but we should learn how to relate to others better. But most importantly, we should learn how to relate to God. We have that vertical and then the horizontal. The vertical comes first and then the horizontal. And in doing that, we begin to understand how God looks at our sin. How God looks at the life of Robert. Now for some, that could lead to hopelessness, to depression, But for God's people, the people that Moses was referring to as dwelling in God, for those people, it should lead to Jesus. Because it's only in Jesus that we find rescue from God's wrath. God's wrath goes beyond the life here on earth. God's wrath is more than just Growing old, growing sick, and dying. God's wrath is eternal. But God is also a God of compassion. He's also a God who is faithful to His people. Moses writes in verse 13, Relent, O Lord, relent. Do you know the word relent? That's an English word. Uh, For some, English is your second language. You may not understand the word relent. Uh, In America, when we were children, we would be wrestling. And when one got the better of the other, you would say, stop, stop, stop. And uh, at least in the South or where I was a child, the, the winner would say, say uncle. Now, what that means, I don't know. But you would say, uncle, uncle, and then they would let go. And that's kind of this relent. It's like, stop it, Lord. Please, stop it. I've had all I can take. 
And when we look at our sin, and we look at what God has to do because of our sin, we say, have mercy. Have mercy. Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. As God's people, we should be like birds in the morning. One thing I miss from the United States where my house is, is my, my backyard uh, is woods. It's forest behind us. We have wild animals. We have deer. We have coyotes. We have foxes and rabbits and, that are up in my, in my yard all the time. And, uh, but we have lots of songbirds. And especially this time of year when it's cool outside, which actually it's not this time of year, it's very hot in Georgia. Um, in the spring and the fall, we, we'll have the windows open. And I love to sit and listen to the birds. The first thing in the morning they do, just as the sun is beginning to get a light gray on the horizon, the birds wake up and the first thing they do is sing. They sing, they sing, they sing. Now, in America, I am a turkey hunter. Okay, I hunt wild turkeys and um, I'm in the woods an hour before the sun comes up. And even before it's starting to get light, on the ground, up in the trees, the birds are seeing the first rays of sunlight. And that's how you can tell when day is coming is the birds will start singing. We should be like those birds because of God's unfailing love to us. We should be singing early in the morning. Now, some people would say, well, Robert, you sound terrible when you sing. You shouldn't be singing. But, you know, it doesn't say to sing like a professional. It says to make a joyful noise. The psalmist goes on, Moses goes on, and he says, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. For as many years as you, you have, we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants and your splendor to their children. Some of us have suffered. Some of us have lost homes. We've lost loved ones. We've lost children. I remember watching uh, the movie Lord of the Rings and in, in uh, one area, um, a king was having to bury his son who had been killed in battle. And he was talking to uh, another leader, and I'm not mentioning any names because I don't want to glorify that. But one of the things that he said, he was crying. 
And he said, a father should never have to bury his son. And yet God did that for us. God willingly sent his son. Oftentimes when we think of salvation, we think, oh, Jesus came. He was born. And that's all true. He lived the perfect life. That's true. He died for my sins. That's true. But if you read the text, it says that the Father sent the Son. It was the Father's idea to save mankind. Creatures created in His image. He sent part of Himself to the earth. It was the will of the Father to do that. We've seen trouble. God has experienced trouble. The heartache of having to bury a son. Some of us know that. Some have experienced that. Well, God knows what you're feeling. And Moses ends with a request. May the favor of the Lord, our God, not their God, not somebody else's God, but our God. May the favor of the Lord, our God, rest on us. And then a prayer. Establish the work of our hands for us. What is the work of your hand? What is the work God has called you to do? God will establish that if you give Him the chance. Establish the work of our hands. And how will that happen? Well, Moses tells us that in the very first line. God, you have been our dwelling place. Learn to dwell with the Father. Learn to dwell with God. In the morning, in the middle of the day, in the middle of your work, dwell with God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are our dwelling place. We thank You that You have provided for us salvation. You've provided for us strength. And while these bodies may fail and bodies may die, we are with You eternally. Our home is not a building. It's not an apartment. It's not a house or a tent. Our dwelling is in You. Teach us that, Lord. Teach us to number our days and establish the work of our hands, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.